Hello, and welcome to the Development Debrief with Katherine Van Zippel, the stories-based podcast that interviews professionals, donors, and thought leaders in the field of fundraising. Happy Thanksgiving! I hope everyone is enjoying family and good food. So, this Thanksgiving, are you looking to up your stewardship game? What we learned from today's guest is sometimes it really is as simple as picking up the phone. I'm reporting to you from Ithaca, New York today. I'm spending Thanksgiving with my family upstate, and of course, it is significantly colder than New York City. I want to feature some great work being done in this region. Mary Jane Bray, who's the major gift officer for the Food Bank of the Southern Tier, is with us to talk about how she thanked a huge increase in donors during the pandemic. MJ's Food Bank acquired 7,800 new donors in 2020. 22% of their new donors gave again. 35% of that group has given more than one gift. MJ tells us how she thanked those individuals and built relationships with them over the phone. I also talk with her about how persistent she was with her outreach and how she works to have donors at all levels feel appreciated. Mary Jane Bray has over 10 years experience in nonprofit development and fundraising. She's previously worked for the United Hospice of Rockland, a community hospice located in Rockland County, New York, and as Director of Development at the Alpine Learning Group, a center for children and adults with autism located in Bergen County, New Jersey. She's the current Major Gifts Officer at the Food Bank of the Southern Tier located in Elmira, New York. Today's episode couldn't be more on theme, talking about an important cause, hunger. This is our first episode hearing from someone who works at a food bank. So let's get started. MJ, welcome to The Debrief. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Well, let's just start high level about the organization that you represent and your role, and then we can dive into some more specific questions. Excellent. Excellent. Um, I work for uh, the Food Bank of the Southern Tier, which is located in Elmira, New York. So it's in the Finger Lakes region. We have a six county um, service area. So we service the counties of Broome. Uh, Shemang, Tioga, Tompkins, Schuyler, and Stu Ben. So that includes the urban centers of Binghamton and Ithaca. Uh, if that gives anybody a kind of a general idea of where we're located. Your role, what are your primary priorities in your position? So I'm very fortunate that I'm the major gift officer for the organization, and that's all that I concentrate on. My organization is 40 years old. Um, As of this year, we started in 1981. They've never really had a formalized major gift program before. Uh, They finally, about two and a half years ago, really decided that it was something that was needed. And they worked really hard to get approval from our leadership and our board, kind of make the case that this is a worthwhile investment. And um, You know, it's a marathon and not a sprint. And I was hired to be the first official major gift officer the organization's ever employed. And uh, I'm just, I just had my two year anniversary at the food bank last week. So. Oh my gosh, um, that's so exciting. (laughs) Yes, to to be responsible for the birth of, of, and the creation of something brand new. Exactly. Dating and exciting. I mean, people can do the math. You weren't there for too long before the pandemic hit, hopefully enough to kind of know the players and get some grounding. But 
you were telling me about the phone calls that you made during the pandemic and I was just blown away. So you told me that you made about 1500 calls. Was that right? Yeah. So from March of 2020, the end of March, 2020. So we, we kind of consider P day pandemic day as being March 16th. Um, okay. That weekend before that's when all of the school districts started saying we're, we're going to be closed. We're going to be closed. The colleges were extending their spring breaks. We were all like, ah, oh, this is gonna be like two, three weeks of craziness. And that was it. We went primarily remote except for our warehouse uh, staff beginning March 16th. So by the end of March through um, December 31st of 2020, I made approximately 1500 phone calls emails, thank you cards, handwritten thank you cards, text messages uh, to donors, thanking them for their support of the gifts that they had been sending to the food bank. First of all, congratulations. I'm so impressed. <laughs> but, but also what I think is important to acknowledge is it sounds like a lot of new donors came out of the woodwork because the issue of hunger was that much more potent during the pandemic. So you were building these new relationships over the phone. Yes, it, we did um, benefit immensely from just an outpouring of support from the community. And not only people who live in this community, but I'll never forget this one, this one young man I called, he sent us half of the stimulus uh, check that he had received. And he was, his address was not in the Southern tier. So I said, you know, why did you, you know, think of us? You know, I'm curious. And this guy said, well, I went to Cornell University and I played hockey there. And I know that there's a lot of need out there. And, and now I'm a professional hockey player. And I wanted to, like, I wanted to, to you know, give back to, to, to the Cornell area. And I was like, oh, wow, well, thank you. And, and I was like, I'm so sorry your hockey season, you know, isn't going to happen. He's like, ah, it happens. <laughs> so it was, it was a lot of um, people like that, people who their mom grew up in our area, their wife grew up in our area. They went to they went to school out here and they really thought about our region and, and realized, especially because so much of the Southern tier relies a lot on tourist dollars, uh, that, that we were gonna be definitely hit pretty hard and they, they wanted to, to make sure we were okay. Can you share a couple of the cases where the calls really grew into a, another giving conversation or you know, a deeper relationship? So I can think of, of two off the top of my head. One was uh, this gentleman, he had uh, sent a gift in honor of his uh, mother and he did not live in the area. So I, and there was no phone number. There was just an email address. So I sent him an email thanking him for his gift and, you know, put my contact information in there saying, if you have any questions or if you'd like to know more about how your gift is, you know, working to help our community, I invite you to please reach back out to me. And he called and we had this great conversation. It turns out he worked in development for a food bank in the DC area. And he had just quite recently taken on that, that position. And it was his first time working in the hunger community. So we were just talking and chit-chatting chit just about all things food banking. And at the end of the conversation, he said, you know, you guys really impressed me 
you know, my mom, you know, who I made this gift in honor of, she, she lives, you know, she tells me where she lives and she's like, you know, here's her, here's her email address. I want you to reach out to her and, and, and talk to her because I think she'd be very interested in what you have to say. So I said, sure. And long story short, I emailed to her. We spoke on the phone. I went to visit her. And now, you know, she's in my portfolio. She's one of my donors. She's, you know, very excited for me to come back to her with some program initiatives we're working on to see if there's something that she might want to um, support at a higher level. That's an amazing story. Yeah. And I think it gives hope to a lot of us. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. The other one I can think of, this one was very, very sweet. It was this gentleman made a gift and it was uh, part of his, his stimulus check that he sent to us. And we had a lot of people who did that. A lot of people. Really? Oh, and I heard again, like if I had a dime for every time somebody told me the story, I, I wouldn't need to ask people for money. He, you know, he, I'm doing okay. I'm retired. My retirement's fine, or I'm still working. So I, I feel like, you know, I don't need this money, but somebody else does. And, and a lot of people really paid it forward. And so that really was heartwarming and wow. such a, such a rough time in all other areas of, of our culture right now to have people say, I was given $1,500 and I don't need it. So I'm giving it to you because I know there are people who do. So that it was very wonderful to see that. But this gentleman sent us this check. And uh, again, I picked up the phone and I called him and I said, oh, thank you so much. We really appreciate it. I left a, a message on his answering machine. Well, he was so happy that somebody called him back to say thank you, that he wrote us a note saying Thank you for your thank you call. So then I called him back and and we just started talking and he went from, you know, being this guy who just sent us this one-off donation to becoming a monthly donor. Oh, that's so great. um, Yeah. So, and he was such, such a lovely, lovely, lovely man. And, And he himself shared that when he was younger and his kids were younger, they benefited from being able to access food pantries so they understand, you know, how important it is for, for people who just need that little extra help every now and again, you know, it, it, it means a lot to him that he's able to now be on the other side supporting that. So that was, uh, that was really, really great that it all, it all started with just saying thank you. I, I often overlook these kinds of calls, if I'm being totally honest. I mean, I do them, but I don't typically think of them as leading to to more and not that that's why we do it. We do it to thank them, but it's just really insightful hearing these examples that you have of real relationship building. Yeah. And we, at our agency, we made a very, very deliberate decision to kind of really up our stewardship game because we were suffering from what a lot of nonprofits suffer from. And and we call it the leaky bucket syndrome. You know, you get so many new donors every year through your outreach, but then you're also losing donors on the other end. You know, people who maybe gave one year or two years and then they disappear. And, you know, what, why did they disappear? You know, what happened that made them stop giving all of a sudden? So we really decided that we were going to make targeted efforts to steward all of our donors, not just the ones who write the big impressive checks, but even even the, the man or the woman who sends us 
10 bucks a month, we're going to pick up the phone and say, you've been supporting us for 10 years. Thank you. Like, thank you for always thinking of us. And we, you know, been tracking this now. And in, so just as an example, in 2020, we uh, brought on about 7,800 new donors. Granted, there was a pandemic going on, so our numbers went up. As of the end of July last month, 22% of those new donors have already donated to us again this year. And of that 22%, those phone calls. <laughs> yes, of that 22%, 35% of them have given us more than one gift. So it, it works, like picking up the phone even if you don't actually get them on the phone, you just leave them that message. You, you open up that line that says, email us back, call us back. We, we'd love to just say thank you in person. It does make a difference. There were some cases where you were very persistent. You weren't able to hear from people and you kept calling again and again. And I know for some of us, we're asking ourselves, what's too much? What's not enough? So what are your best practices on persistence and follow-up? Oh, that's a really good question because it's definitely something that all, I think, uh, fun, you know, front-end fundraisers, you know, worry about. Is it too much? Is it not enough? Am I not having the right email address? So on and so forth. So when I, the, the end of every year, I build my, my prospect plans for the year ahead and I look at all of my donors and I start simple with, okay, how many things are they going to get? Because they're just going to get them from the organization. So there's our newsletter four times a year. They're going to get that. So that's four things they're going to get from us. And our circle to feed hope, it's our, it's our giving circle. Uh, we send out those letters four times a year. And I'm like, all right, well, they're probably going to get two, at least two of those letters throughout a 12. So I put those in and then I kind of build touch points around them, you know, okay, so the month before the harvester, reach out to, to your donors and let them know that it's coming and that there's going to be this article and you'd love to get their thoughts on it. Or, you know, the, the December, they're going to get some sort of holiday outreach from, from me. And I, and I do that with all my donors. I hand write a holiday card to every single one of them. And some of them, the message is, I because I haven't had an opportunity to speak with them yet, so it's just kind of well wishes for a happy holiday and a great new year. And then for a lot of them, it's, I'm giving them an update. I'm talking to them as if they were just a part of my regular holiday card list. And I, and I start those holiday cards like by, you know, the Halloween. <laughs> yeah, so that's a lot. <laughs> to write out like 110 mm -hmm. personalized I don't even give my family that much attention, right? <laughs> and I just kind of think about it as everybody should should be getting something from me at least once a month or, or once every six weeks. That's kind of how I build it. And some things are much more targeted and, and some things are much more, you know, for lack of a better word, generic. You know, they're going to get the newsletter or they're going to get something that everybody's getting but it's still, it's still a touch point. You know, it used to be, um, they said it would take five to seven touches before somebody would respond to you. This is an old like spin yeah. seven, you know, thing. But now because there's so much noise in the world, right? Social media and, and your phones and constantly with the text messages and the emails, it, it takes a lot 
more to get somebody's attention. So now you're like 12 or 15 touches before somebody will respond and either say, yes, I've been meaning to get back to you, but I keep forgetting. Thank you for, for you know, being persistent. Or in some cases, yeah, I'm not interested. Thank you very much. And I always say um, a major gift officer is just as happy to hear the yes, let's talk as they are. No, please go away because it's an answer. Right. <laughs> like, exactly. we like yeah, you can feel okay about putting that person aside for a little while or for a couple of years because you got to know. Exactly. What's most frustrating, I think, is those people that you keep reaching out to and you're getting nothing. Those are definitely tough, but you- It feels like it's going into a black hole. Yes, yes. But, you know, it's very easy to ignore them, but you shouldn't because you, you never, ever know when it could just be, my son was getting married and I've been so busy or, you know- there was, you know, somebody in the family has been very ill and I just haven't had the bandwidth to talk to you, but I am interested. So you, you just, you shouldn't write your donor's story. That's such good advice. Yes. But we, it's very easy to do. It's very easy, just, you know, make up this whole dialogue in your head. Right. But, mm-hmm. you, and you've got to keep reminding yourself, that's not what's actually happening. You don't know what's happening. Yeah. I tend to do that in all areas of life. And then I have to stop myself and say, you don't know any of that is true, actually. <laughs> it's so true. I keep you know, being reminded of what my grandmother said to me once about a thousand years ago when I was worrying about what some kid in my class thought of what I was wearing. And she was like, oh, you're not that special. People don't think of you that often. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I was like, pretty harsh, grandma, but I get what you're saying. <laughs> Of course, you were in unprecedented times with the 1500 last year, but do you anticipate that there will be a continuation of the pace of calls when things kind of open up more? Like what, what are you forecasting for this year? How how do you, where do you even begin? Right. Especially because the pandemic isn't over, you know, it's so who, who knows what even a month from now is going to look like once all of our schools and this part of the country open back up and people are back in who even knows the amount of calls that I'll be making personally probably won't be as high because again, like I said, I'm fortunate enough to be able to really concentrate on my portfolio. So I certainly will be reaching out to my people as vigorously as I did last year, but the overall general stewardship, we actually have a, a woman um, in the office who's that, that's her job is to maintain and craft and move forward our stewardship program. So she might say to me on any given week, hey, I've got 10 donors that need a call. Do you have time to do it? And I'm always happy to do that. But, you know, there's a somebody else is kind of rowing that boat and making sure people are being reached out to. Like I know that she, um, first time donors, people who are are first time they've given to us or first time in many years that they've given to us, she has a whole, um, she calls them, she thanks them personally, she sends them a special letter, you know, thanking them for being a part of the food bank along with more information about our organization. So she's she's really got, 
some really great um, systems in place to make sure that not just big gift donors, but even, even you know, the person who's given us $15 a month is still going to feel as appreciated for remembering us and, and wanting to support our mission. Definitely. And you make a good point that it's a different list, even though it's all donors for stewarding, it is a different thought process when you're thinking about moving gift conversations forward. So it's nice to have that partner to remind you. Yeah. And she's, and what's also great about um, having her in the role that she's in is that she's able to say to me, Hey, I had this great conversation with this donor. And I think they, they could be somebody who would want to have a deeper relationship with us. You know, here you go, you know, check them out. What do you think? You know, is it somebody that we should definitely, you know, put in a special file to kind of steward in a deeper way? So it's really great to be able to have uh, somebody kind of keeping an eye out for those diamonds uh, that we can mine. So she's almost doing some discovery or some qualification work? Uh, Like a little bit of prospecting. She asks them questions like, you know, what inspired you? to, you know, support us uh, above any other, you know, worthy organization. And, and people like to, to be asked that for every person who's like, well, I, uh, people shouldn't be hungry. You hear stories of, you know, hey, I, I grew up going to meeting food pantries, or I, I know what it's like to suddenly lose my job and not know how I'm going to feed my family this week or even people who, you know, they, they work as social workers or school teachers. So they work with people who struggle with food insecurity. So they, they know um, how important it is or how, what a difference it is when a kid comes to school and they've had a good breakfast. Yeah. It affects people on all different levels. It sounds like you're not just hungry or you're not. Exactly. So you had told me about some plans for an upcoming campaign. I don't know how much you can share, but it sounded really interesting. Yes. So it's not really an official campaign, but it is work that we are tackling on a much, much uh, deeper level for as easy as it is to explain hunger. It's much, much, much more complicated to, to solve or address And we've known for a very, very long time that if solving hunger meant just giving everybody a jar of peanut butter, we would have solved hunger a very long time ago. So there's a lot of uh, systemic root causes why people get on this cycle of struggling with food insecurity. And a lot of people- Would you say that's similar to homelessness? Yes. So So there are definitely people who bounce back and forth over this- invisible line between, you know, being able to afford their basic needs and not, and it's really tough. Then there's also people who could really benefit from accessing a food pantry, um, accessing services from the food bank, but they resist it due to stigma. They don't want to be seen accessing these types of services. They think, oh, no, there's somebody worse off than I, so I don't want to take from somebody who could use it more than me. Um, or people who are like, nope, I don't, qual- I don't qualify. Like, I'm not allowed to use those services. And that's a lot of what we struggle with trying to educate 
people around is that nope, the, the food bank and food pantries are for everyone. There's no rules or, or threshold you have to prove before we, we let you in the door. It's if you need it, it's here for you. Now that we're kind of out of crisis mode from the pandemic, we're able to kind of pull back and take a larger look at our organization and how we've been serving the community. We've done some internal research trying to determine how well we are at serving the community. You know, where are we missing communities or pockets of people? What are we doing that's actually very effective and we should maybe expand that program because it's so effective. We took a really hard look at ourselves and we discovered areas where there are gaps that we really need to think of new creative ways of, of getting to those areas because if what we had been doing was working, we wouldn't have these gaps. So we're in the middle of a pretty robust um, program expansion that's going to help address root causes of hunger. Um, it's also going to allow us to strengthen all of our partner agencies. So the way the food bank works is the food bank uh, sources the food from many different avenues. We then distribute the food to a network of partner agencies. So food pantries, meal sites, and then they take that food and distribute it to their individual communities. So it's a much more efficient way of getting food out there instead of one food bank trying to service everybody in a 4,000 square mile area. It's no one food bank gives food and resources to 300 partner agencies who then are able to get that food out to the thousands of people who need it. That's amazing. Um, yeah. But a lot so, of logistics. <laughs> yes, a lot of logistics. So our, one of our goals in this program's expansion is to be able to strengthen our partner agencies so that they are better at distributing their food and reaching the people in their communities. You know, you know the average pantry volunteer is a 75-year-old woman, which is wonderful. We're super happy to have every retired person who wants to help at the food bank, but we certainly, you know, very old quote unquote volunteer base. We need to figure out a way to bring in younger people. Mm -hmm. And that's definitely, that's an issue for a lot of nonprofits who rely on volunteers. It's usually people who are retired who have the time to be able to, to do that work, but it would be better if we had a more varied age groups to be able to lean on. Uh, we're also doing a lot of program expansion around educating our volunteers, educating the public in general to help reduce stigma and you know erase those tropes that we often hear about food banks and food pantries and the people who access them. A lot of work around uh, diversity, um, equity and inclusion and uh, trauma-informed care. And one of the biggest things we're working on is there's a whole mindset within all nonprofits that for the longest time, a nonprofit kind of worked under the idea of there's a need and we nonprofit people are going to do this work to fill that need. So here you go, people, here's what we think you need to solve your problems. Whereas we now know it's much more effective if you go to somebody and say, 
you individual who's living this life, who's living, who's having this experience, what can we do to make things better for you? What can we do to help you change, you know, your current situation? So it's figuring out a way to bring people with lived experience to the table in a very meaningful way so we can learn from them and ask them, what should we be doing instead of just making assumptions about what we think is best? And that's everything from how to approach people um, to what kind of food we provide for them. One of the examples I like to, to give my donors is in one of our communities, there's a pretty high um, population of, uh, of Muslim families. And, you know, we had a whole bunch of frozen pork product that we were, we were able to access through the um, USDA overstock commodities. Well, okay, a Muslim family isn't going to be jazzed about frozen pork taco filling. They're, they're not. So it's just kind of also stopping and saying, all right, just because somebody can't afford to buy their food doesn't mean they shouldn't have a choice with what they eat, mm-hmm. <laughs> but that they should just be happy with whatever it's given to them. It's bringing them to the table and having them tell us, this community would really love it if you guys could figure out a way to access, you know, whatever it might be, rice, a certain type of vegetable that that's very popular, whatever that is, but we don't know those answers until we ask the questions to the people who have those answers. It's just, it goes without me saying you're doing such important work and I'm just so sort of like your donor. I'm so impressed with what you're doing and I'm thrilled that you were given the opportunity to launch this major gifts program and just continue to strengthen the good work. I would love to end with my signature question MJ, which is what do you know for sure? I, I know that things always change. And I, I know oftentimes people say that it with a negative connotation, but I, I actually mean it with a positive one. The anniversary of September 11th is coming up and it's 20 years. And I, and I remember the day I was a young mom and, you know, watching it unfold on my TV screen, just completely stunned along with the rest of the world. And where I happened to be living at the time was downstate in Rockland County. And Rockland County lost a lot of people in in the towers. We lost a lot of firemen, a lot of police officers lived in our community because it was right outside New York City. Very, very, very dark time. And I was speaking with this lady I knew. And at that time, she was in her 90s. And we were talking about everything that happened. And she said, to me, you know, when I was young and we were living during the depression, we always thought it was going to be like this forever. She's like, and then things changed. She's like, and then World War II happened. And we, and we really thought, okay, we're just going to be at war forever. She's like, and then things changed. She goes, and then, you know, the cold war happened. And then one day the Berlin wall came down and things changed. And she looked at me and she goes, things always change. I always remember that when things feel very stressful and dark and scary. I always think of little Mary D sitting in her house and she's like, things change. Uh, Thank you for telling us that story. And thanks for coming. Thank you for having me. I really, really appreciated the time. So thank you.
I am so happy we got to hear from MJ today. There were several takeaways from this episode. I love that MJ told us yes is as important as a no. Don't give up until an answer has been given. I also loved her advice to not write your donor's story. This is an easy mistake that I know I make. Thinking about how often your donors hear from you and your organization is a great way to build out a strategy. I also think her direct work with her stewardship colleague is a smart way to collaborate and strengthen outreach. I am most touched by all of the donors who shared their stimulus checks with the food bank. Donors come in all shapes and sizes, and this Thanksgiving, I want us to remember that. I also want us to remember that no thank you is wasted. In fact, sometimes that's exactly where it starts. Thank you for joining us today. I'm grateful for our debrief community, especially on this holiday. If you have an effective stewardship strategy, share them with us. You can connect on LinkedIn or Instagram at devdebrief. Enjoy the holiday, and we'll talk next week.